Our reading today is from Luke 11, verse 33 through 36. Thus says the Lord, No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand, that those who come in may see the light. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light, as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that you are the giver of all good gifts. Lord, you have given us your creation. Lord, all creation tells of your majesty. And in your creation, we see your glory on display. Lord, you give good gifts to your children, and yet your word says that you allow the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Lord, you bless people, Lord, like us, who are undeserving of your grace. Lord, that you open eyes, that you give faith to see. And Lord, today as we come to your word, we ask that you would give us the gift of understanding. Lord, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but doers. Lord, because you are worthy to be praised with every thought, with every deed. Lord, we look to you. We ask you for help. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. There's a rhythm of life that God has created. The sun comes up, the sun goes down. Another week comes along, but the beginning of each week is a gift from him, that we have the Lord's day to come together to celebrate, to celebrate what he has been doing in our lives, but at times to encourage one another when the week has been difficult. But there's a refreshing sense that every time we have the opportunity to gather together to open God's word, that he refreshes us, that he teaches us. And today we open God's word as we've been studying through the book of Luke in Luke eleven thirty three. And kids, I apologize. Did anyone catch it yet? At the top of the kids' notes, what does it say our passage is? Yeah, Luke eleven twenty seven to 32. I take the notes from last week and redo them, but I forgot to change the heading for you. So you don't have last week's notes. You do have this week's, just the heading's wrong. And that's my apology. Think about where we've been recently here in our study of Luke. Jesus has had people come around them, and he last week we saw that he rebuked them, saying that an evil generation was seeking for another sign. But he said they had already had signs, but he would give them one last sign, and that was the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah, that Christ himself would give himself upon the cross to die, but he would not stay in that tomb. 
And we meet on Sundays to remember that same truth, that Christ is risen from the dead. And we have hope of those who have put their faith in Christ. We do not have to fear death, but we look forward to the resurrection when Christ will bring all of his people to heaven with, to be with himself. As I had kind of looked ahead and planned kind of where we were going to be, I had kind of broken 35 to 36, our passage today, apart from last week. And really, it belongs a little bit more with last week than just a standalone. And as we look, we see that Jesus shares a parable here. And again, as Jesus speaks in parables, we have to be careful with parables, not to over-allegorize, think that everything has to fit into some system. But one of the things in studying parables is to see that Jesus often contrasts two things. We're going to see that today, a good eye and a bad eye, a dark body and a light body. And often the end of the parable gives us an emphasis of what the whole parable was saying. The idea of light is nothing new. From Genesis 1, we said, and God said, let there be what? Light. And he separated the light from the darkness. We see light and darkness being a picture throughout all of Scripture of evil and good. Isaiah 9, the the great Christmas passage that we think of. The people who walk in what? Darkness have seen a great light. We see the the contrast of those two things. And as we come to this passage today, think about what Jesus is saying. Here in verse 33, he begins to say, No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it under a secret place. Some uh, translations say a basement, uh, that which is revealed. Or put it under a basket. Seems kind of ridiculous, isn't it? Why would we light something? Friday night was such a beautiful night, we were able to to have a a campfire. We didn't put a basket over the top of that. The basket would probably burn anyways. But that campfire is to bring lights. And Jesus says, but we put it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. This sounds pretty familiar. We've heard Jesus use words like this. Like in Matthew 5, Jesus says, Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Mark 4, a a parallel of Matthew 5, it says, Also he said to them, Is a lamp brought to be under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? We see this is repeating not just in another gospel, but Jesus earlier in the book of Luke used this analogy. He says, No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. It's interesting, as Jesus is using this, sometimes I think there's a little different emphasis here. In Matthew 5, Mark 4, and Luke 8, the emphasis Jesus then says, so then we are to let our light shine. And when I was kind of dividing up the passage, that's where I thought this passage was headed. 
So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. But Jesus doesn't take it that direction. He uses the same analogy, but brings a different truth here. It gives light to those who come in that they may see it. And as we begin to unpack this parable, we see that the lamp in Jesus' other teachings are talking about us, those who have been made his children that are to go out and to shine. But Jesus uses this lamp as a different illustration. This here in Luke eleven thirty three, Jesus is speaking about himself. He's speaking of himself being that lamp. Because think about where our context has been. Jesus rebuking the generation, asking for another sign. And he says, another sign has already been given to you. And the greatest sign was who? Or what? Himself. And that he would raise from the dead. In my notes, I I kind of broke it up this way. Verse 33 is the light's revelation. That it has been placed and it is seen. But Christ is the true light that is spoken here. In John 1 verse 9. Beginning of John we see in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. Speaking of Christ. Down in verse 9 it says. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. John in his epistle, 1 John 1.5 says, This is the message that we have heard from him and declare that you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. John 8.12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life. You have to remember sometimes as we're reading that just because there's a little heading, like my Bible says, the lamp of the body, this fits right up against verse 32. Jesus has just done, just finished talking about how the, that the men of Nineveh would raise up at the judgment and pronounce judgment upon the generation for seeking another sign. I think a while back I had mentioned that... Uh, there's a couple different uh, publishers who have put the Bible in written form without verses, without chapter markings. And sometimes it's a blessing to read it that way. Because sometimes we break these into thoughts. And okay, verse 29 to 32 is one thought, 33 to 36 is another thought, and not see it as one overarching thought. Thomas Constable in his comments on this says the exhortation concluded the controversy about signs as Jesus teaching about the importance of obeying God's word verses 27 and 28 concluded the controversy about casting out demons verses 14 to 26 both conclusions called Jesus's hearers to respond to his teaching rather to continue in the darkness of ignorance and what was the ability or excuse me How were they able to respond? They saw his lights. In the book of John, Jesus says, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He is that lampstand. Luke 1, Jesus is spoken of, To give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of 
peace. Excuse me, I believe that's actually Zechariah uh, about John the Baptist. John twelve forty six. I have come as light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Jesus proclaims himself as the light. And here in this parable, he is that lamp upon the lampstand. Because the point of the matter that he's making to the Pharisees and to the religious leaders who keep demanding a sign is that I've not been hiding my deeds. You keep asking for another sign. I, I'm not hidden. For he has been made clear. He has not been hidden. Jesus says in John 5.36, But I have a greater witness than John's. For the works which the Father has given to me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. That there was no question that he was that lampstand, not hidden under a basket in some private place, but he had lived his life in public. He was not some secret prophet in some far-off remote place, but he walked among the people, showing his deeds before people. Just today, we see his glory upon display. We've proclaimed the work of his hands. For Colossians says, There was not anything made through him that was not made. Everything that comes, everything that we see in creation is through the agent of Christ. His handiwork is is on display. And we can see His grace upon lives. Jesus had not withheld any evidence. Again, think of last week as we recounted the the multiple signs that Jesus had already given the people. But it wasn't just the miraculous signs, it was His life as well. That he came to show the contrast of the darkness. Ephesians 5 shows that picture of the darkness. The the darkness is a picture of the devil and judgment. It says, and we have no fellowship with the, the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. That's exactly what Christ did. He came to shine light, but he did not do it in some hidden way. He was upon a lampstand. Then in verse 34, Jesus says, The lamp of the body is the eye. It's kind of an odd way for us to read that. We think of a lamp as something that stands out, but then we see him use this analogy of an eye. And yet, just as the lamp shines light, we see that the eyes are what bring light in. The eyes are what give us a perception And just like the perception of being able to see light and dark with our physical eyes, the perception Jesus speaks of here with the eye is that being two different kinds of eyes showing the ability to understand spiritual truths. For there's a good eye and a bad eye. Look at, he says, the lamp is the body, lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, When your eye is good, your whole body is also full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body is also full of darkness. Again, contrasting. And it's based upon the eye. The eye is good. There's light in the body. Is he talking about a physical body here? 
That we're this hollow core, that there's this light shining that comes into our eye and shines in. No, he's using these as a picture to show that the light of what is going through our eyes affects our whole life. The good eye. Not necessarily speaking of morally good, it's speaking of an eye that is healthy, that is clear, that is one focused. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Notice that Jesus says when your eye is good, your whole body is good. But then we understand with the whole of Scripture, how are we able to have a good eye? Is it something in our own ability to make us be able to see spiritual truth? And Jesus is helping us realize in his ministry, and then the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, that I just read, for it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, and it is he who is shown in our hearts. It is he who has brought light into our eyes, given us eyes to be able to see, to see the truth that was right in front of them. Just as the people who walked with Christ can't help but to think of Thomas who doubted and Jesus says, put your hands here. And Thomas's doubt turned into faith. What's his response? My Lord and my God. An immediate change. One that was no longer bound up by, show me a sign, but it was Christ has been revealed. Peter, when Jesus asked him, but who do you say that I am? Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. The ability to see and to understand and to say, Jesus is God incarnate, come to die and rise from the dead, is nothing in our own ability. That good eye that is spoken of here is an eye that has been given. But as in many of the parables, there's a contrast. A contrast to a bad eye, an unhealthy eye. The problem here is not the evidence before the eye. There's a young lady that we knew in in Cambria, in California, where we used to live, and Just after birth, she lost her sight and has been blind since then. The world is around her, but she cannot see it. It's evident. Even as I'm standing in front of her, I'm talking, but she cannot physically see me. The problem is not the evidence. The problem is her eye's ability to see The same thing is true of us spiritually. It's not the fact that the evidence is lacking for God. It's not the evidence is lacking that Christ is who he said he was. The problem is our own sin. We saw this even last week. But Jesus says in John 12, 35... A little while longer the light, speaking of himself, is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. 
He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. Earlier in John 11, verse 10, Jesus says, But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. He's not talking about somebody walking out in the middle of the night. He's speaking of spiritually. He's using the same picture to teach a truth here. That we walk in spiritual darkness because the light is not in him. I thought this week of Saul in Acts 9 as he was, he'd gone to the high priest and was seeking to persecute the followers of Christ. Walking on the way to Damascus, he was blinded. He was blinded physically. But the blinding, I believe, was also to show his spiritual blindness. For though he was, of all the things he compliments him, he says he can take, uh, uh, he could attribute as good things in his life in Philippians 3, being of the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He studied under Gamaliel. And yet we see that he was spiritually blind, and God calls Ananias to go to Saul. In Acts 9, Verse 17, it says, And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me. Why? That you may receive sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. And I believe that there's this picture of Saul would transform into the life of the Apostle Paul. That the physical sight and the spiritual sight were happening at one time. And while we may not be physically blind, we are all born spiritually blind. We are a people who walk in darkness. And it's not because of the lack of evidence that we don't fall on our knees but it's because we've not been given the ability to see. Augustine was once kind of confronted by a sinful person, and that man showed him his idol and said to Augustine, Here is my God, where is yours? And Augustine said, I cannot show you my God, not because there is no God to show you, but because you have no eyes to see him. I wonder if this was done, Augustine's mind, as he was thinking of that. We can try to present all the evidence in the world, but if understanding is not given, it's foolishness. As we see 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, the foolishness of our minds. But Peter speaks of that, but you are a chosen generation. Almost kind of a a contrast to the generation we saw last week. Not the generation who sought a sign and was blind, but a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a a holy nation, his own special people. Why? That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Ephesians 5, speaking of God, Therefore he, God says, Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. 
Who calls us awake? God does. And he gives us that ability to see. Paul recounting his conversion and his calling in Acts 26, referring back to what what I read uh, in Acts 9, he was telling of of Christ telling him uh, these things, that I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. Why was Jesus sending Saul? To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. It's the blessing that God gives us as we proclaim the word of his truth or the truth of his word, that God does use people. But it was not Saul's ability to give them sight. For it's Saul, him, Saul or Paul himself that says in Romans ten seventeen, faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. Remember this, that faith is like this picture here, sight. To have the eyes to be able to see. In Isaiah 42, speaking of the, the nation Israel, the Lord said, which is a picture of his people today, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes. God is the one doing that. But sadly, as Jesus was using this analogy of the good eye and the bad eye, the eye that can see and the eye that is blind, he speaks of the Jewish leaders calling them, in Matthew twenty three sixteen, woe to you blind guides. The people who had all the information before them, he called them blind. But we're blinded by sin. And Satan continues to show that blinding in Second Corinthians four four. But even if our gospel is veiled, Paul writes, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe. In just a little bit, we're going to be singing a song entitled, O Great God. In the second verse, it says something along the lines of, um, I was blinded by my sin had no ears to hear your voice, but the gospel of your grace gave me eyes, opened my eyes that I might see. We're going to sing these truths in just a little while, and don't let those just escape you, but to, to be reminded of the truth that we get to proclaim in song and to recall and to teach ourselves. But is that truth, can it be said of us, that God has given the eyes, the good eyes to see? Because Jesus says in verse 35, Therefore, so in light of these things, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. That word take heed is one word in the Greek, and it's, it's used not in a verb sense, but in the Greek it's used in a noun sense to bring um, a greater uh, emphasis on it. Uh, Greek's interesting how they can use different words for different reasons. We, we, need, we need a verb to do a verb action. We need a noun to, to talk about a person, place, or thing. But it's used to say, really kind of get our attention. That we would be careful 
to take heed, to take stock, to look, to be careful, to examine our own lives. Because we see that we can be deceived to actually be walking in darkness. Because the light can be have two different repercussions, two different effects. One, those with bad eyes walk in self-deception. Jesus says, you know what? Those, uh, when the the eye is bad, your body is also full of darkness. That there is nothing good in them, like Paul writes in Romans 1. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. We see this theme repeat over and over. Verse 22, they professed to be wise, but became fools. Down in verse 25, he continues, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie. But there's a problem. The problem is that light and darkness hate one another. And notice Jesus is talking about two different eyes. There's not a third option. There's no in-between. It's either a good eye or a bad eye. It's either full of darkness or full of light. And it gives us an opportunity to examine our own life, to see the fruit. It's a test. Because John 3 says, and this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, but men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Where's the pattern of our life? Is it following the deeds of darkness? Now, we we can often say, well, I'm not murdering people. I'm not doing these things. Yet, what does Christ say in his word? Even if we've had anger in our heart, we've committed murder. Even if we've broken one part of his law, we've broken all of it. We're either a sinner or we're saved by grace. There's no kind of quasi-in-between. But he says, if then your whole body, verse 36, is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light. The true effect of the gospel, when it changes our lives, it brings about a radical change. We're not left kind of just living our old life. Like the apostle Paul, you could see the change. And we might say, well, okay, I've never persecuted Christians. I don't see the change. But what about our thoughts and our actions in even the little things of life? Walking in the light is a test. Just as 1 John says, this is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you. I read verse 5, but let me continue. That God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, here's the test, and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Are we walking in darkness? 
Because it doesn't matter what we say, John says. We could say, yes, I'm a follower of Christ. But what's the pattern of our life? Jesus is saying here in verses 34 to 36 that the truth of his light shines into every area of our life. Now, please understand me. I'm not saying that we hit perfection. I'm not saying that we can somehow live perfectly. But where's the overall pattern of our life? As we walk in the light, it shows the work of salvation that's been done in our hearts. It does not show how to earn our salvation. For again, remember, we cannot change our eyes as Jesus is speaking of here. It's a work that he does. Yet once our hearts have been changed, the truth of the change shows by our actions. This is not just following some set of rules. Well, I do this because I'm told. But as Ephesians 5 says, to be holy as I am holy. To seek holiness. To pursue, to be that peculiar people that God speaks of. But there can always be this sense of, well, I just want to find a middle ground here. I know all that Jesus stuff, and and I know what he's really called me to do, but here's the comfortable part. But Jesus is not saying that there's the in-between parts. We're either following him in all darkness, excuse me, in all light, or we're against him in all darkness. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.5, You are the sons of light and the sons of the day. We are not of the night nor darkness. There's no in-between. It's either light or darkness. Warren Wiersbe says in his commentary, Each of us is controlled either by light or darkness. The frightening thing is that some people have so hardened themselves against the Lord that they cannot tell the difference. They think they are following the light when in reality they are following the darkness. But let me caution us as well. We're in a fairly conservative church. But just because we're in a conservative church doesn't make us a follower of Christ. Just because I don't smoke or chew or go with girls that do, right? Doesn't make me a follower of Christ. Just because I dress a certain way, just because I go to church on Sundays, doesn't make me a follower of Christ. Just like somebody has said, just like going into the garage doesn't make me a car. Just because we come to church, just because we sing songs, just because we have the warm fuzzies on certain songs. But the question is, has the light of God's word shown in us and can we see our sin Do we repent over that sin and do we look to Christ for forgiveness? That is the test. The problem again, verse 33, is not the evidence. Christ is on the lampstand. His light, his his life has been clearly shown. The problem is our hearts. For we are blinded by sin. But are we responding to his word? Are we responding to the truth of his message that says repent and be baptized? As the men of uh, 
on the day of Pentecost said, what must we do to be saved? And Paul, excuse me, Peter says, repent and be baptized. Repent and believe the gospel. That there is a God who is holy and we are sinful. And he has come to this earth, lived a perfect life. He has died on the cross to pay the penalty of sin. That if we put our faith and our trust in him, in turning from our sin and seeking to follow after him, we see his work of salvation in our life. That's the truth. But then as we continue... Think of 1 John 1, 5 to 7. If we walk in the darkness, if we say we live in the light, but we don't, we've deceived ourselves. Verse 9 is two verses later. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And what? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is that picture that the light goes into every area of our life, cleansing us. Does it mean we don't have struggles? Does it mean that sometimes sinful habits are hard to break? Absolutely they are. Because we still live in a flesh. We still live in a body. But where's the pattern of our light, of our life? Is it pursuing light or is it living in darkness? Is it enjoying and being comfortable in that Or when we see the light of his word shine, does it make us uncomfortable and say, Lord, help me. Help me put away this sin. Help me put away this hidden. As the psalmist says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I pray that that's the direction of our hearts. First of all, if it's faith and repentance to become his child or repentance to continue to show his life working in ours. Where are you today? We've sung about his creation. We've heard his word proclaimed. We're about to go to communion to remember his death. Is his death for you? Is it? We know if we have confessed our sin. We know if our heart is broken over our sin. That we can come to communion and we can, with joy, remember his death. But with soberness, be reminded that The light continues to pierce our darkness. And we need his truth to lead us. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word. Um, Lord, I pray that we would not be like the generation around Christ who had deceived themselves. That had rejected Christ looking for more information about Jesus. That they had rejected Christ because they didn't think they needed him. But Lord, I pray that, like the Apostle Paul, that you would tear apart the scales on our eyes and show us your glory. 
that you would bow us low before you, before your throne, but that throne of grace that we might find forgiveness as we repent of our sin. Father, help us to be children of light, walking as children of light. Lord, that as we walk, that it would be a testimony of our salvation, but most of all, that it would be a testimony of the work of Christ in our lives. Lord, do that work, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.